0: And welcome to Cosmic Kool-Aid. I'm your host, Corey Short, and in the booth with me today, I got my mentor in this uh, in this broadcast game, Mr. Matt Matan. Matt, how are you, sir?
1: I am thrilled to be here and getting some Kool-Aid. <laughs> I, uh,
0: I got to say, man, I'm a little bit uh, intimidated to have you here, and if, if you all don't know... <laughs> Looking to see a,
1: who's behind me. You
0: know? <laughs> I've been a part of two radio shows in my career, and they were both close to 15 to 20 years ago. And both were because of this man here in the booth with me. We did uh, the weekend report Mm -hmm. with Matt and Corey, which was a politically driven
1: community news news oriented. Yeah,
0: and that was that was where I got my feet wet. I didn't really know a lot about a lot at the time, and uh, I didn't really (laughs) have a lot to offer the show. And it ended up bowing out to do a sports show at Mm thirteen fifty, which Mm -hmm. you managed at the time, and uh, had a lot of fun with that. But had to get back to work making money because that. Yeah, it was a little small market station. There was not a lot of advertising potential out there at the time, or at least I didn't have time to commit to it. But Mm. anyway, thank you for uh, giving me that experience. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we've known each other a long time. I've known you since you first dipped your toes into entrepreneurship as a teenager you know so going back a few years and you know what i saw in you then is the same thing i see in you now that so many people in our community where where you film this know is that your heart's there for the people that you come in contact with and when it comes down to broadcasting you know i I've, I've, I've been doing broadcasting since i was 15 i'm in my 50s now so i've i've done this a long time um, and being a servant to people around you and having an open heart you know have the have the attitude of a student but the spirit of a servant. And there's certain people that have that, and you have that. And so, you know, over all these years and everything you've done and all the entrepreneurial things you've done and, and media stuff, um, it's it's very validating to know that who I saw when you were a teenager is exactly who I see today with more life experience and more wisdom. But, you know, that core, that light inside you is still the same light that I saw those years ago.
0: Well, I appreciate those words and, and just being able to maintain your respect all these years <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm proud of that. So you know you you've definitely seen uh, many many incarnations, many chapters. Yeah, many both values. of us. Yeah, both of sure. us.
1: Yeah, the the highs, the lows, the yeah. losses, the triumphs, all of that. That's that's Pain the journey divorce. of life. Yep, absolutely.
0: You know. So so glad to have you here, man. Yeah, I'm you glad really do. You mean a lot to me. You've had a big impact on me, and uh, sure glad to have you here to 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 celebrate this new venture and uh, to talk about all things you you got going on as well. So uh let's dive right in. Let's jump on uh this first segment. Let's focus on your your career in radio. So you said you were fifteen. Tell me about how that started for you at fifteen. All
1: right, so uh growing up in the Boston area um in the eighties and ESPN on Saturday mornings used to have like a they had a host that would segue between all their outdoors programming. And I've always grown up in outdoorsman, you know, paddling, fishing, camping, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and I'd see these guys getting all this free gear and getting to travel to all these great places to go fishing. And at like 14 years old, I was like, I want to do that. I want people to send me free gear. I want to get paid to go fishing. So by the time I was 15, um, I figured out what I had to do in order to be able to do that. And back then in that time frame, you had to have an FCC license to be a broadcaster, not just to own a station. But to get on a microphone for TV or radio, you had to have your little thing like a driver's license, but it was an FCC license. So I figured out that I could get that from a community college um, nearby, but my parents had to sign the paperwork to get me in early. And and I took all the required courses, took my test and, and everything else. And then I just started going around shopping for places that would give me a camera and an editing booth you know basically and just convince them of stuff and uh, we we shot a pilot episode with me and my friends it was kind of wayne's world meets roland martin fishing show it was horrible it was ridiculously <laughs> ahead of its time i'll say that it was, it was tick tock before there was TikTok because it was so stupid um you know but
0: we had can fun. you imagine if we had all these formats oh my gosh 20, I, I, i'm ago. glad
1: because i probably wouldn't have had the sustained career if it had been easily accessible, my entire history—if people could have searched it, you either know, either that or you'd be a billionaire right now, or I'd be a billionaire, maybe you know. But it was—it was something where uh, we had the the big um, the quarter inch tapes, you know, not even VHS tapes, but we would run around and we use that to sell to different affiliates. And so at the time, it was before there was cable access or anything like that, and so there were these channels that every community had that they didn't really have anything to put on them. They were just, they were doing bulletin board stuff, you know, or they do town hall meetings and things like that. And I was like, there's where we can go. You know, they're not going to pay us, but I can get the visibility out there and then I can start building a brand where I can get people to send me free fishing gear. And that's really how it started. And so by the time I was 16, we were on the air and me and my friends had fun doing that until I left for the Air Force. And, you know, I never looked back. You know, now looking back, it's like, holy smoke. I mean, we had a syndicated TV show as teenagers. And I, and you know, I had sponsors like Shimano and Rapala and, and stuff like that. And I didn't think anything of it. Cause for me, it was just, I'm just trying to have fun. I just want to get free stuff. What kind of stuff did you guys talk about? Oh goodness. Um, well, there were, there were goofy <clears> little segments, you know, we would go fish in different places and talk about what we're doing, but really it was about, it ended up being a really great document of me and my friends in our teen years, you know? Um, and it's too bad that, the technology isn't there because the only thing that still exists to this day is the pilot episode, which was transferred onto a VHS just so I'd have it. But we, we reused the quarter inches, you know, you'd have your runner that would run around to the different affiliates, pick up the quarter inch tapes from the week before, bring them back to the central studio, dub the new edited episodes on and run them back out. So you had right. like a three quarter inch tape rotation and you know, Again, we weren't thinking for posterity's sake. We were just a bunch of teenagers having a good time with cameras and microphones and going on location. But like, my favorite segment, though, is every week on the show, I would walk up next to some random person fishing on a bank somewhere. I'd take one cast as I stand right next to him, catch a fish, and be like, hey, throw it back in and walk away. (laughs) Now, I had to walk up next to like eight or ten people a week. In order to catch one situation, you know, where I actually caught a fish. But that was like one of my favorite segments of every show, was walking up next to (laughs) random people. Of course, you have to get them to sign a release afterwards. But I think a key moment for me in my media story was I was walking toward this one guy and he was fishing in a spot that I knew really well and I knew I could catch a fish first cast I felt really confident about him like and and I know how to catch a good fish he's not casting where the fish park here the bass and everything and so you know got one of my friends cuz I trained all my friends for sound and camera work and everything you can relate to that you know you've always had your friends close and and so they're they're off in the tree line getting the stuff I've got my little wireless mic on I'm walking down the bank toward the guy and he turns around and he's like oh hell no you're not doing that to me <laughs> And it was the first time I had ever been recognized as like because of a media thing. And there was something in my DNA that went, oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like that. And, you know, um, I, then after being in the Air Force, just fell right back into media again. So, other than my eight years in the Air Force, I've been doing media since I was 14, 15 years old. Did
0: Matt and Matt start shortly after the Air Force?
1: Um, Right afterwards. Yeah, that was – it was AM Asheville, and then it became the Matt and Matt show. It was AM Asheville with Matt and Matt, but that was like – I think it was October 1996.
0: And that was your first professional show.
1: I don't know if I'd call that a professional show. If you mean that (laughs) eventually before it it all blew up, I made a little bit of money, then yeah, I guess so. But I don't think I – I would say that I didn't have a professional show until I was able to support my family on radio, which gotcha. wasn't until you know the the mid two thousands when I could sustain you know paying the mortgage on a nice house and you know doing all the things we want to do it's so from funny. talking to a it's microphone. It's so funny
0: you say that because we met in like ninety nine two thousand. Yeah, I was on the air with you two thousand one ish. Yeah, and at that time you were a radio god, and you're saying you really didn't even. It wasn't even pro until 2005. That's just crazy to yep. me because you were a radio god back then.
1: Well, it's funny. Somebody had found an old – they were going through some old boxes in a storage unit and some of the newspaper that they had wrapped stuff in. Um, they pulled it out, and the local daily paper, front page, top fold, was a picture of me in a studio. And it said, "Longtime radio veteran, Matt Mattan, and everything. And it was 1999 or 2000 or something like that. And I was like, whoa, I was young. (laughs) Well, and also
0: at the time, you had some other business ventures going on. You were like Asheville
1: Tribune. Well, um, I was an executive editor for uh, Tribune Papers, which at that time was a little bit different than it is now. We had papers in North and South Carolina, weekly papers. And so I was overseeing... Um, the editorial executive editorial function for like five newspapers, and then I left there to start my own newspaper, um, which was the Valley Record, and published that for you know quite a number of years. And so print was really where I made my money, you know, because I was uh, before the Tribune, I was also a manager for the Asheville Citizen Times, and I and I did that job right out of the Air Force. I walked in. Virgil Smith was the the publisher at the time, and. And I got a temp job doing data entry at the Citizen Times. I mean, right fresh out of the military. I didn't know Asheville, you know, where I've lived for nearly 30 years now. But I knew I loved it, and I didn't want to go anywhere else. So I needed to find employment so I could pay rent, <laughs> you know. And I walked into his office, and I basically wouldn't let him, you know. I, I wouldn't leave until he gave me a job. And uh, and that was working in management at the Citizen Times and in circulation and stuff. But uh, But, yeah, so – Print was, you know, being an editor, a writer, uh, publisher, and all that. Radio was always there, but radio wasn't the breadwinner. It wasn't until you know I had what you would, you know, say what people perceived as being successful, having high ratings, you know, the content ha- having great impact and everything. That had to happen for several years consistently before all of a sudden it translated to income. Yeah, you know, and then then when it when it started to take off, it really took off. I, I mean, it, I, I ended up shutting down my other businesses. I got out of newsprint. and, and uh, That's
0: when you had the – so that's when, when things got real. It was with the, the 5 p.m. show, the drive time um, after Yeah, show. so
1: 3 to 6. It was 3 to 7 for a while there, too, for about a year or so, four hours. It was too much, five days a week. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was, it was uh, when I did a show called Take a Stand, and everything just clicked. Everything clicked and we had about a ten year run of being the number one rated show in the region for like ten years straight. I mean, beating the big FMs and and all that kind of stuff. And that that was a really magical time, you know, um in a lot of ways, but it also was a very difficult time too. There it, it was I, I think the universe balances things out. And the more blessing there is, the more painful roots system there is to it, and vice versa. You know, things may be painful and struggling on the public side where you're like oh it's really sort but at home maybe so happy things are going great you know and and i think things just kind of balance out that way so you know it was an amazing ride but there were also there were a lot of challenges that led to tough life consequences and learning lessons outside of the studio um so yeah it's it's a for me i look back and i say now uh, what an amazing ride and even the tough stuff that happened I can see now in hindsight how it really cleared the way for a purpose-centered and balanced life that I'm living now, that I couldn't have gotten to if I hadn't gone through the stuff I did.
0: Sure. You know? Sure. And I can, I can tell you that somebody that's watched your journey all along, it does, it does seem like you're in a good place. A yeah. Peaceful place in my anybody that's, that goes out with their hair
1: like this you know they got to be comfortable <laughs> <laughs>
0: absolutely well my only looks like this because i keep gel here in the studio i came in looking rough myself so
1: everybody knows he's had that since he was 18 yeah
0: my hair dyed and changed my whole life <laughs> uh, since i was like five really but yeah <laughs> um so okay well while we're on the subject of take a stand with matt Matan, let's uh let me take this opportunity to call you out on something sir all right I told you it was coming and uh so you used to be really well known for your your uh, neutral position on things. Uh, of the last year it seems you you might be leaning heavily in a different direction.
1: Over the last year? I didn't think I was leaning in any directions on anything. 4
0: years. We'll say 4 years. Okay. You 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 seem to have taken more of a liberal approach.
1: I I would say, you know, when I was doing Take a Stand, one of the things that was a trademark of the show is that everybody was welcome at the table. And at one point or another, everybody was pissed off at me, <laughs> um, and and the way that I approached that, and maybe it was the journalistic side, maybe it was the um, the gaslighter in me, I don't know, maybe a mix of the two. But if I saw that there was one area or one ideal that wasn't getting a seat at the table, I felt like it was good for dialogue to make sure it did, you know. And so, if any one opinion or position or idea got a dominant place in a conversation, I would take on the role of inserting as strong an argument as I could in the other direction. And so it led to things where, you know, at at times, you know, I'm being celebrated by people that would identify themselves as conservative, and they're inviting me to their events and speak to them. Other times, Threatening boycotts against the station, you know. And and the same for people that identified as progressive, or like, oh, you know, he's a terrible person and and at other times you're like to you, Don Yelton, (laughs) (laughs) You you know, so it's it's one of those things where I think I've always I've always been motivated to have voices heard against the current. And I'm I'm comfortable enough in my own skin to even take on arguments that I don't always necessarily agree with, and I looked at it as an opportunity to sharpen arguments. It's like I totally
0: see that. Yeah. So and you know I'm not I'm not judging you. I'm not political. You know that. I don't. I don't. No, but
1: it is funny though because when I stepped away from doing because you know now and and you know this I mean I'm running multiple businesses and, and multiple stations now, so I don't get on air as often, you know, I still I, I do a weekly countdown show on our music station. And um, my partner, Michelle, and I have an outdoors travel show that we do um, that runs a, you know, it has a season, you know, April to October. And, and then, you know, every once in a while, I'll talk to a business person that I want to highlight or, or something like that. Or if there's an issue where I'm like, Oh, I'm kind of curious about this. And, and I take a very, very Switzerland approach now. And it's because What had changed, I don't feel like I changed a whole lot, but what changed was the scope of tolerance toward different ideas or dialogue in the marketplace. And so whereas before, I could swim and sway across different issues or ideological camps, and it was okay. You could swim back and forth. That's not so much the case anymore. You swim anywhere over here, I was like, oh, there's that person. He's this and everything else gets shut off. And and I remember um the eye opener for me was there was something that happened here locally in town where we live and I just th- I said something that I didn't think was political. I thought it was just a really good common sense human position to take. And all of a sudden I had people calling advertisers demanding they boycott my station. And I'm like, "Wait, what? Are, are you serious?" And I was like, "You know, I don't need to get out there and do that anymore. You know, when I was doing that, when I was swimming through the different, you know, lanes and antagonizing or validating different people that I may have agreed or disagreed with, it didn't matter. It was about the dialogue. Um, You know, you can't, you can't do that anymore. Unfortunately, because I think it's important. I think it, I think it makes, makes for better solutions and stronger community when there's tolerance, even in frustration or agitation to, You know, to in one moment be like, oh, I can't believe I ever told anybody to listen to this guy. Oh, what a creep. But then a few months later go, you know, actually, he's kind of got a good point on this other thing. You know, and I think that's something that's important to society that we've kind of seen a diminished.
0: Do you 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 believe in editing yourself to satisfy your sponsors?
1: (sighs) I have definitely decided to exercise different skill sets I have and not exercise skill sets I have because it's not just me that I'm providing for anymore. Sure, You know, there's a lot of people whose platforms and life plans and goals center around things that I'm responsible for. And so in that sense, I don't know that it's editing my content or anything like that so much as it is discerning the greater good. You know, there's not a need for me to get out there and make a point about something. Right. You know, I um like I saw somebody posted a meme and they said, you know, I've reached that point in my life where you could tell me one po- plus one equals four, and I'm gonna be like, you're absolutely correct, and then walk on. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm more in that position now because I find myself in a role now at this stage of my life where I'm more of you know a facilitator, supporter, mentor of other people's goals that I want to associate with. You know, when I look at like for biz radio for one of our stations, amazing, amazing talent. The hosts, we have like 17 people on the station, you know, and they're out there and they're really fighting for the things they believe in to make society and community and entrepreneurship and everything better. You know, whether it's in mental health or if it's in um, investments, you know, into local economy or things like that. And I want to do whatever I can to help them be able to have the impact that they 're intended to have, so i 'm more in a support role, whereas before I was the tip of the sword now you know i 'm there i 'm holding the handle on i 'm making sure it 's balanced right you know I, I forget the what do they call it when you get the right balance on the sword you know <laughs> but i i 'm more in that position now, and i 'm fine with that, you know, so I do get people you know I still get people come up to me all the time, recognize me and stuff and And it's funny, you know, with media, I think there's a certain component of where people feel like they own you a little bit and they feel like they know you enough to, even if they've never met you in person, tell you exactly what they think about what you did or didn't do right. (laughs) And so I've had people in the grocery store flat out say, man, you totally sold out. You used to be a real crusader out there for stuff. And now you just go fishing and stuff. (laughs) And I'm like, sorry to disappoint, you know, I mean, but you know they're not wrong. I mean, I used to be a fighter on the front lines and now I'm more, you know, I'm more back in the planning room. I'm in the map room, you know, so I don't think it's calling me out. I mean, it's, it's true that, um, you know, when I saw that there was a dominant conversation thread in the community, my old muscle memory was to challenge that. Yeah. Not so much anymore. These days, there's not really room to sustain and exist.
0: Do you still consider yourself independent? politically. Oh,
1: absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And just because I'm not talking about stuff on the air doesn't mean I'm not still engaged. Sure. doesn't mean that I'm not still calling different places and trying to do things behind the scenes to impact what I think is important. I still do that. Are you uh, happy?
0: Elon bought Twitter?
1: I don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you, you know, I, I mean, it's like, it's one of those, you know, the thing, you could tell me one plus one is four. And I, oh, you're absolutely right. It's a private company now. I think that's good. I think it being a private company is good because in media, whenever something's publicly owned, the audience or the community are not the end game. The investor is the end game. Wall Street's the end game. And that skews the priorities of content. You want know, to talk about editing content. When you're trying to please shareholders yeah. rather than serve the calling and the opportunity that being a broadcaster provides for your community, whether a community be geographical, geographical, topical viewpoint, whatever that community is, you know, it could be around Minecraft, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, I th- I think it going private is a good thing and let people bellyache all they want. It's a private company.
0: So what, what point did you switch from traditional airwaves to digital? When did that about happen? About two and
1: a half years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. About two and a half years Tell ago. Tell me about
0: that. And, and what's the form? What, what's, what is your company now? Where can they find you to hear you today?
1: So the easiest way to plug into <clears throat> everything that I'm doing today is mattmattan.com, and then all the stuff I'm touching is right there. Okay. Uh, so mattmattan.com, but bizradio.us is the station. Uh, we were on a ten thousand watt AM station for years. Uh, it originally, it was Independent Asheville Radio, Then it kind of evolved to become Biz Radio. And uh, we made the switch during COVID. Uh, we had always had an eye, and you know this. Always had an eye on the digital. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where it's going, you know? And, uh, and so when COVID hit, looking at the analytical data of the digital side of things, not only did the audience diversify and expand immensely, but they weren't just dipping in. Older generations, different device platforms, and everything, they weren't just checking stuff out digitally. They were going on digital and staying on digital and migrating to other digital from within it. And so analytically, it was like, It's the right time. And so we made the flip in October of 2020. Not only
0: that, but you get cold, hard facts to show potential advertisers. You get
1: that. But even more important to me, even more important to me is the ability to directly engage with the audience. Yeah. You know, like on our music station, Buzz Radio Asheville, which is only local artists. It's only local original music of all styles. Artists after artists tell us once they're on buzz radio, they see an increase in their sales of downloaded music. They're, they're getting more gigs and it's because you, the audience can directly buy from the artist right there on the live stream. And it doesn't, we don't keep any of that. You know, it connects right there. You're listening to it. And you're like, oh, I love the song. Hit the buy button. Boom. You download it and you make a transaction with the artist right there through the station while you're listening. You can't do that on an FM dial. You just can't do it, you know, so that was a big reason the analytical data because I'm very analytical when it comes to that stuff It showed that it was the right time to make the move and I didn't want to end up like blockbuster or the yellow pages, (laughs) you know And so getting out in front of it being an independent It's an easier ship to steer than if you're a chain of stations across the country
0: and that's so true, man I worry so much for our friends our friends. We both know so many in traditional radio still I hope they can find a similar path to the digital world that that keeps their dreams afloat. You know, because I, I feel yeah. like the the airwaves are just dying,
1: and and we're losing. You know, what lasting voices there were that were really focused to community. Yeah. Corporate radio's kind of washed a lot of them out because, again, the stockholders, the margins, the the you know the advertising re- revenue disbursements back to the corporate office and the spreadsheet ledgers. We know great people. That had huge audiences, had full advertising support, engaged in the community, that get laid off because of spreadsheet analytics in Texas yeah. or in New York. Had nothing to do with what they're doing here locally. Um, and then also through attrition of loss, you know, one of, one of the best here in Asheville, um, Pat Ryan, passed away not too long ago. And what a loss to our community. You know, yeah. he was such a voice that was really committed. But behind the scenes, what a lot of people may not know is he owned his own show. You know, he yes, he was on a national, um, you know, a national company's local radio station, but he owned his platform, yeah. and it was a unique situation. And I think that's what allowed him to sustain that community engagement. Not that people at that radio group aren't trying to do that, but it's just a different it's a different measurement of success when you're reporting to shareholders versus if you're tied to your local community.
0: Yep. All right. I'm Corey Short, Cosmic Kool Aid. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. If you
1: liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.